you are sovereign over all kinds of little details. And you knew well in advance where the Olympics would be and that, uh, that the country of Indonesia would pick the Lampungese to represent them and this little village to produce cloth to represent the country. And these women, you saw them from eternity past, making these little claws and learning Bible stories as they do so, even without fully understanding who it is that they're learning about. Uh, Father, we pray that this would be an entry point for the Gospel. And that uh, through uh, all of these ministries, Chintabacha and the uh, medical clinic, and the tapestry program and all of this community development work that is happening, Father, we pray that most of all that Jesus would make himself known in a place where he is completely unknown. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, every now and then something happens uh, in such a way that you just get impressed by God's timing and his, uh, his sovereignty over lots of little details. Uh, I planned to do this message a year ago, and I had no idea that Paul would be here uh, and talk to us about the work that is going on uh, in, among the world's unreached people. But it just so happens that uh, our message today is focused on taking the gospel to those who have never heard. That's what my dad jokingly refers to as the luck of God. (laughs) He's very lucky like that. uh, His timing always seems to work out. There's no such thing as God's luck, right? It's his sovereignty at work. And his plans and purposes and his timing supersede ours in ways that we cannot imagine throughout every single one of our days. God has a plan and a purpose and he orders our steps. Amen. So we're going to be looking for just a few minutes, the few minutes we have remaining here in this service, uh, at Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 21. And I'd like to begin by asking you this question. It's a question that has stuck with me and kind of been a, a, a burr under my saddle, if you will, uh, for a while here. Uh, if God gave you everything... If God were to give you everything for which you have prayed in the last week, what would you have? If God gave you everything that you have prayed for in the last week, everything that you have asked God for in the last week, what would you have? Now, it's not, that question is not original with me, but it has stuck with me for a while. Uh, because, number one, it tells us what we think about prayer. Do you actually pray as if God is there and actually answers? And it also tells us what we think is important. Because whatever is near and dear to our hearts are the things that we actually pray about. Amen? You can tell what matters to you 
based on what you have asked the Lord for and what you have prayed for. So consider, if God gave you everything for which you have prayed in the last week, what would you have? If I'm being honest, uh, some of us would probably have nothing. Because we haven't prayed at all about anything. Some of us might have a new job. Some of us might have a fatter bank account. Some of us might see friends or family or even ourselves miraculously healed. And I don't want to minimize any of those things because God does care about those things. He cares about our finances. He cares about our, our jobs. And He cares about our health. And He cares about all the little details of life. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father. Amen? But, let me ask this. Let me probe a little bit. If God granted suddenly all of your previous week's prayers, would you immediately see friends and family and co-workers and people you know embrace Christ as Savior? pray about that and I ask that question not to make us feel guilty but to to point out that the consuming passion of Paul's life was other people would come to know and to follow and to worship Jesus if you cut him open, he bled the gospel going out to other people. And I think that in this text, what we see is not only Paul's heart, but we see for us an example and an encouragement, and if you will, a spur to our own hearts and our own desires and what we ought to want to see as well. Amen? Because it's, it's not that praying for all those other things is wrong, but that in addition to them, we should have our prayers at least at points regularly focused on the expansion of the kingdom and the growth of the church and the gospel going out to all the nations of the world. All of the, and by the way, the word nations in the scripture is not the word for nation state, like we think of it, like France or Indonesia or Canada or the United States. It's the word ethne, from which we get our word ethnic. All of the people groups, if you will, are the nations of the world. The Lampungese and the Sioux and the Scots and the Irish and the Basque, and the Castilian, and the Italian, and the Sicilian, and the Macedonian, the ethnic groups of the world. All of those people are meant to hear the Gospel and to worship Jesus. So have you prayed for those things? Are those things near and dear to your heart? They were near and dear to Paul's. And I want to show you uh, the, this scripture and encourage us all to develop the heart of Paul for the nations because it is God's heart as well. So if you've got your Bible there, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 14 to begin. 
I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But in some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the Gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, Paul has just finished writing to us 14 and a half chapters about why we need the Gospel and what the Gospel is and how the Gospel should shape our everyday life. If you want to know what Romans is about, it starts with why we need the Gospel and then it tells us what the Gospel is and then it tells us what the Gospel does in our lives. That because we are sinners, we need Jesus. And Jesus came in order to redeem us from sin, to make us holy, and to carry us to heaven. To be with Him forever. That's the Gospel message. And then the Gospel, as it is lived out, is the remainder of the book. How do we live it out? And in light of that, Paul anticipates a question that might be arising in the minds of his original readers here. Uh, he's saying, you know, Paul, this is a great letter. But why are you telling us all these things? Don't you think we already know them? And in fact, they do. So why are you telling us this? And what his answer is here in these verses is, no, I know you know these things I've told you. And I know that you are living out the Gospel. And I know that as a consequence, you are filled with all of the goodness in your heart and conduct toward other people that the Gospel encourages us and develops in us. And I know that you already understand all the theology that I've shared with you, but I want to remind you of these things. I want to remind you of these things, he says, because... Christians, like God's people from the beginning of creation, tend to forget the things that God has told us and emphasized to us and repeated to us in His Word. And so Paul says, look, it's not that you don't know these things. I know that you know these things. In fact, I know you live them out. But I want to remind you. And so I wrote to you to remind you. And the reality of it is that's true of most of us. After you've been a believer for a while, it's not that there's all of a sudden all kinds of new truth to learn, but we need reminded of the truth we already know. So that we don't forget. And we need reminded more often than we need taught. And that's Paul's purpose in the previous chapters, to remind them of what they know and how they should live in light of it. But there's, I think, a second reason. If you look at verse 15 here, down through verse 17, Paul says, look, I've been very bold in how I've written to you because of the calling that God has placed on my life. In His grace, God used Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul sees his work in that capacity as God's apostle, as his the word there is priestly service before the Lord. And the word that he uses there is uh, the word in Greek that we get our English word liturgy from. 
You know, the liturgy in a worship service is the order of things that you do as you're worshiping God. And he says, he says, this is my offering before the Lord. What's his offering? It's Gentile believers, people from all the nations that are around him. He says, I am offering Gentile converts to Christ. And I have a great desire for the people that I offer as my priestly offering before the Lord to be an acceptable offering. People who have been made holy by the Holy Spirit. God works to transform people's hearts, but He often uses His children to help other people to grow. And that's what Paul longs for. He longs for the nations, for Gentile people, to grow up. And he says, therefore, by the grace that's been given to me in Christ, I want to have good reason to be proud of the work that I've done. I want to be able to look back on the ministry God has given me and have some pride about it. And look what God has done through me. Look what He has achieved in these people. And he says, I want you to hold on to the Gospel. So that when I get to the end of the race, I have something to be proud of. That you are living out the Gospel. That you are holding on to the Gospel. And the fruit of my life, I want it to be people who have not just heard the Gospel. I don't want it to just produce new converts. I want to make sure they live it out faithfully and hold on to it faithfully because that is what is really important. Now, as you, as you think about this as it relates to us, the need for this is as great as ever. That we would hold fast to the Gospel because we tend over time to forget these things. Or to think that we can, you know, we get to a point where we kind of move on. You know, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I've been through Romans. That's, that's good stuff. But at some point it becomes familiar. And we tend to get consumed by other things. But one thing should be of paramount importance to us. That we hold fast to the Gospel. That unbelievers need it. And we need it. To transform our lives. That Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead to give us new life. And that we live out that new life, not only before God, but in relationship with other people who need the Gospel. We can tend to forget. So Paul is writing, remember these things. Do not forget them. And the best way to ensure that you do not forget is to keep yourself fully occupied with the mission. With the mission. Look at verses 18-21 to now here. What the text says. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through Me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the Gospel of Christ And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the Gospel, not where Christ has already been named. 
lest I should build on someone's foundation, someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. You want to know why Paul is so passionate about the Gospel? You want to know why he seems to never talk about anything else in all of his letters that he writes except the Gospel and how to live it out? It's because I think Paul never got over what God had done in his life. Here is a man, remember Paul? He's the guy who's the Pharisee, who's trying to live his life uh, by his own effort. Please God, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to memorize the entire Old Testament. I'm going to keep every little jot and tittle in the whole Old Testament. And I'm going to do it perfectly so that God will accept me. And then along come these group of people, these Christians, these Christ followers, who are telling people that there's another way to be right with God, and it's through faith in Jesus. And Paul, in his zeal for the Old Testament, his zeal for the law, said, no, 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 we've got to get rid of these people. They follow a man that has been cursed by God. How do I know he is cursed by God? Because we put him to death, we hung him on a tree, we, he, and, and no one who's been hung on a tree, could ever be the Son of God. And then Paul, as he is in the process of serving warrants for people's arrest, is knocked down by the light of the glory of Jesus whom he is persecuting. He is confronted on the Damascus road and he is brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the man is transformed. He who formerly persecuted the faith becomes its greatest proponent. And he is shockingly transformed. And he goes about preaching about Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Son of God who came to fulfill all that the Old Testament had written about Him to die for sin, to be raised from the grave, to give new life to those who were rebels and strangers and alienated from God and to make them His children. And to set us free from bondage and captivity to the law. How about that? And Paul never got over this. And he says, I make it my ambition to never to speak to of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He never got over it. He never matured beyond it. He says, I want to speak of what Christ has accomplished to me that the Gentiles might be brought to obedience. By, and he says, and I'll do it by word and by deed. In other words, I'll do it with my mouth and I'll show it with my life. I'll do it with signs and wonders. And he did. He did. Paul cast a demon out of a young out of a young girl. Acts chapter 16, you read about it. He cast a demon out of this young girl. Uh, he and uh, his, his ministry partner Silas, uh, the, the guys who owned this slave girl, 
uh, stir up a riot against these two guys. And uh, they have Paul and Silas thrown in prison after they beat the hair off of them. I think that's how the Greek reads. Okay. They beat them bald-headed, right? And then they threw them in prison. And at night, as they're singing hymns of praise to God, because God has counted them worthy to suffer on behalf of Jesus Christ, what happens? The walls of the prison start shaking. All of the gates of all of the cells fly open. Everybody's stocks fall off. And the, the jailer is converted. He and his whole family get converted in Philippi. And the next day they get released from prison. Cast out demons. Got out of prison miraculously. Signs and wonders. One time Paul was, you know, Paul was a long was a long-winded preacher. I don't think there's any other kind, but he was a long-winded preacher, all right? And he was preaching late into the night and there was a guy named Eutychus up in the window and he was up in the second story window listening to Paul preach and he did like some of you do when I get to going. And he started kind of doing that, that jello neck head bob thing and pretty soon he fell out the window. Boom! Hit the concrete down, and down below. Dead, right? Boom! Paul went down, picked the kid up and raised him to life. You think that story got out? Yes. Do you think it, it lent authenticity to the power of the Gospel to bring new life to people? Yes. God used signs and wonders and He still does today to bring people to Christ. And Paul, He used Paul to carry the Gospel all across the northern Mediterranean. He went from Jerusalem and he went west. He went up north into Turkey, planted churches all across Turkey, went into Greece, planted churches all the way across Greece, got all the way over to what's now the countries of Croatia and Slovenia and Montenegro and Bosnia and Albania. That's Illyrica. That area on the western, uh, on the western part of the Balkan Peninsula across the Adriatic Sea from Italy. And he's headed over to Italy. The gospel's already gotten there ahead of him because of people he's converted along the way and founded a Roman church. And he says, I'm going to, and it, we'll see this next week. He says, I'm going beyond you. I'm going next to Spain. He never got there. Got arrested, imprisoned, killed before he got to Spain. But the gospel got there eventually. And the gospel went from there up into the Gauls, the French. When Rome got invaded, it went out to the, the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths, some of y'all's ancestors. <laughs> okay. Got up into Britain, went across the ocean, went around the world, and is headed out now into these little bitty islands. Thousands of them. It's on its way back across Asia to Jerusalem. He went there because he wanted 
to preach the gospel and he wanted to go to people who had never heard it before. He said, I want to do this because God says in His Word, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15, that people who have never heard of Israel's God are one day going to come to worship Him as their Savior. And he says, I want to be part of the fulfillment of what God promised through Isaiah. That as Stephen read to us from Psalm 67, that the nations would be glad because the gospel has come to them. Now, I began this message with a question. Let me ask us all again. If God were to instantly give you everything that you had prayed for this last week, what would you have? How many of us would have had a harvest of souls entering the kingdom of God? How many of us would have reaped a harvest in places where Christ is unknown, where the church does not exist, and where the gospel has never been heard? Because guess what? God cares about those people too. Our brother Paul wrote to us about his passion for those places 2,000 years ago. And earlier today, our brother Paul came and spoke to us about his passion for those same kinds of places today. What about you? What about, what about me? Will we have a passion for the Gospel? Will we say like Paul, I have resolved to speak about nothing else except what Christ is doing through me to bring the Gospel to people who have never heard it before. Because guess what? You don't have to go to Indonesia. Do we want to send some of you to Indonesia? Yes. Would it be my prayer that God would raise up people out of this body of believers to go to the uttermost parts of the earth supported by the money and prayers of the people here that the Gospel might be known, that the church might be built, and the Kingdom of God expanded in places where it does not exist? Absolutely. But you don't have to do that. Because guess what? In the United States of America today, today, there are 200 million people who do not know Jesus today. And who will have a passion for them? And increasingly, people do not know the gospel, and they are our neighbors. They are our co-workers. They are members of our families. Who think, that, who think that a Christian is somehow the Republican Party at prayer. That's what a Christian is in the minds of lots of people. 
who will carry the gospel to them? Who will carry the gospel around the world? Who will carry the gospel to those who have never heard it? And the question is, will we partner with brothers and sisters to carry the gospel throughout the world? Will we hold fast to it here and make sure that Christ is preached and that He might be known and that the gospel might go to wherever He is not? Will we pray that God would send workers out to into His harvest field and that we make sure that we volunteer for the job? Somehow a lot of us, we pray that God would raise up workers, but we never want ourselves included on that list. Right? Lord, here am I to pray. Send someone else. Right? Will we carry the Gospel to all the nations? Because, brothers and sisters, that is the reason that when we baptize people here in this church, we do not hold them under until they quit bubbling. For a fact. Okay? It is the reason why God, when He saves you, leaves you here. That the mission might be carried out. And the mission is that the Gospel would go to the ends of the earth that people of all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all people groups, every race, every kind of person, every socioeconomic group would know who Jesus is and come to new life in Him. That is the mission. That is why we are here that disciples might be made of all nations. Amen? I'll close with this. Great missionary C.T. Studd wrote a little poem. It's much longer than this. But the tagline at the end of each stanza ends this way. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would hold fast to the Gospel and that we would faithfully carry it, transmit it, proclaim it, to all of the nations. That every tribe and language, every people, every little ethnic group on every little island, every landmass would hear about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead to give us new life for eternity and to make us yours your children who know you, who love you, who are received by you as sons and daughters. That the great love of God might be manifest in all of the world. 
and that we might together gather around the throne and give you praise forever and ever. And Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the mission that you have entrusted to us. And we pray that we would be faithful in it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just one quick thing. If you are new to Chillicothe Bible Church, and by new I mean if you've been here less than six months, okay, and you, have, uh, you do not have plans for lunch, I would like to have plans for lunch with you. And I would like you to join me and my, uh, my children. We're going to go down to Monocle's Pizza right down.